lot of excuses and we are running out of time. We're looking at mass starvation within 10 years. The reality is we're sleepwalking into a catastrophe. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Welcome to the Extinction Rebellion podcast. I'm Marijn van der Geer, and today we're talking about citizens' assemblies. You may think, hang on, you've already done an episode about citizens' assemblies. Well, yes, we have, but there's so much to say. And also, it just seems like the more you find out about them, the more questions you have about citizens' assemblies. So um, there you are. I did do a episode with the wonderful Jessica Townsend about a year and a half ago. So do have a listen to that one. It explains very nicely what citizens' assemblies are. That's really more of a foundation for your understanding. And this episode is going to be slightly more intermediate to advanced, I suppose. So do check it out. If you just search Extinction Rebellion podcast, citizens' assemblies, you will find it. Just in case you don't have time to listen to that right now, let me explain Citizens' Assembly very, very briefly. A Citizens' Assembly is when you randomly select people in a country, so in our case, UK-wide, and this selection of people is then sorted to reflect society as a whole. There are various criteria you can use for this. So, for example, gender, economic background, geographical location, age, and so on. This process, so the random selection of people and then creating a proper sample, is called sortition. It basically means that anyone could be on this citizens' assembly, which includes someone like you, someone like me, So we feel like we're properly represented. Once you've got your group of citizens' assembly members, they then get presented with evidence from experts um, like scientists in the case of climate change, so climate scientists, but also conservationists, biologists, as well as economists, historians, social scientists, you name it. The assembly would also be given evidence by stakeholders. So these are the people who would have an interest in the recommendations brought forward by the assembly. This could be uh, representatives from, believe it or not, the fossil fuel industry. So oil or gas or coal, for example. But you might also have representatives from the other side of the spectrum, such as climate activists and all sorts of people in between. And what's also really key is that you have rights holders present to the assembly members. These would be people who are already affected by the climate and ecological emergency, who come to share their stories with the assembly. It could be someone from northern England who lost their home to flooding or a farmer dealing with consecutive crop failures because of the strange weather conditions, or someone from Wales whose village has been decommissioned because of coastal erosion. But what's really important, especially for the 
Citizens' Assembly on Climate and Ecological Justice that Extinction Rebellion is asking for is that you would also have people from the global south who are already dealing with the impacts of the climate and ecological emergency and who obviously bear a lot less responsibility. So after the Assembly members have heard all this evidence and have had the opportunity to ask questions to the speakers, um, they then deliberate on the issues. And this is really key as well. Deliberation means people are listening to each other. Um, they're learning from each other. And it's not sitting on opposite sides of a room shouting at each other, as we see in our current parliament, for example. So it's much more constructive. You know, people are thinking together. There are trained facilitators who help the deliberation, ensuring that everybody is heard and listened to and everyone has had the opportunity to have their say. The deliberations result in a whole bunch of recommendations and then the recommendations get voted on and those that are passed are put into a report. And the report then goes to whoever asks for the CA in the first place. So in an ideal world, and in the case of the third demand, we would expect that to be the government. So that in a very, very small nutshell is Citizens' Assemblies. And obviously there's loads more to it. So please do check out our previous Citizens' Assembly podcast as well. Today, we'll be talking to the Citizens' Assembly Working Group of Extinction Rebellion UK to ask them the questions that I've been getting. So when people are slightly more informed about Citizens' Assembly, they have follow-up questions. And we didn't cover those in the previous podcast about Citizens' Assemblies. So I thought it was about time that we looked at those questions now. And um, I invited my lovely colleagues from the Citizens' Assembly Working Group to help me answer some of these questions. Let's have a listen. Um, welcome to the Citizens' Assembly Working Group of Extinction Rebellion UK. I am joined by Keith Garrett, <laughs> Kathy Conn, Alex Bradbury, John Witten and Nessie Matos. Thanks so much for joining us on the Extinction Rebellion podcast. So this has been a special request from people who have started to learn about Citizens' Assemblies a bit more. They listened to the previous episode which came out about a year ago, um, where we had the lovely Sarah Allen basically explaining all about Citizens' Assemblies, and people have come back with some more specific questions. Also, in lots of the webinars that we've been doing throughout lockdown and, and throughout, well, throughout the months um, that people have started educating themselves. So I thought I would get you guys to come on and answer some of these questions that we've been getting um so uh yeah i think we're just gonna crack on with it the first one um we're getting a lot is that we're asking very specifically for a citizens assembly on climate and ecological justice and it's this kind of justice thing that throws people because they understand that we want a citizens assembly on the climate and ecological emergency but then often they don't understand what this justice element of it means um so why did we specifically decide to go for this justice element and also what do we mean with climate and ecological justice? 
from my point of view, it it actually is really explaining how that the climate and ecological emergency is not impacting us all equally. And that's not only nationally, but also globally. So from a global perspective, of course, we all know there's huge inequality in the world and that therefore in the context of this existential emergency, then this is also applied. So of course, people in the majority world shoulder the burden far more than those in the minority world in mainly global north. The minority world became rich off of a, a very much a fossil-fueled economy and around, of course, consumerism. And it means that the minority world has a very, very large carbon footprint compared to the majority world. So the impact, the resulting impact of the emergencies, which includes um, huge climatic changes, um, which uh, results in the rising temperatures and, and flooding and um, a huge effects on, on harvests and zoonosis and so forth, will disproportionately affect the poorest nations and, and those who were least responsible for, for causing the, the um, changes to the climate and ecological degradation. When we started this XR system assembly journey, to a lot of us, it was just, well, the climate, we just need to reduce CO2. You put that in front of a citizens assembly, they're essentially going to go, well, we just need to stop driving, stop flying. That's it. Okay, we're sorted. Whereas we very quickly learned through the help of peers in, um, in XR, there's a much wider case where we have to we have to look at the effects of everything we do on other people as well. It's like you can't just offset your carbon to another country. You you can't just have some technical solution that just kind of fixes your little bubble of it. It's a global problem. Other people are affected far more by it than you are, and you need to take that into account. So it becomes a far more holistic problem that you need to address. We believe the systems assembly is still the correct mechanism to go forward to solve it um but we need to make sure that all these other uh, variables are taken into account um that we hear from people um all over the world we understand the effect of every decision we're going to make on everyone in the world not just us and our neighbors also in respect to cbdr which is um the principle of common but differentiated responsibilities and respective capabilities. So that's part of the Paris Agreement. So when they decided on um, this target, pursuing 1.5 degrees centigrade and holding to well, well below two degrees, it was uh, in the context of global equity, which is known as this CBDR. And that's acknowledging really as we've said before, the inequities of the emergency on peoples of the world. And I suppose the, to me as well, the element of justice also talks about justice within a country. So it's also the people who are less well off in the UK, that they don't get disproportionately disadvantaged because of things that we're going to start doing due to the climate and ecological emergency, which, which is very much what happened in France, I suppose, with the, the Gilets Jaunes, 
that the taxes on petrol were impacting the poorest of the country rather than than the richest. That justice element is sort of on a global scale, but also on a national level or UK-wide level here as well. The head police person said, you good people. So it's official. We're good people. Uh, a question that I keep getting from various people, whether it's in a, in a webinar or just talking to friends and family, is they are sceptical about who gets to decide on the speakers presenting to the Citizens' Assembly. So the Citizens' Assembly would have many people presenting to them, whether they are experts or scientists or people already affected by the climate and ecological emergency, all those kinds of things. But how do you decide who those speakers are? And people are also really worried about bias and, um, you know, in terms of what we were just talking about, historical context, uh, if you're talking about climate justice, how do you ensure that that kind of stuff is covered as well, that they have, you know, historians and economists and all that kind of stuff? Who decides that and how do you make sure it's done properly? Yeah, really good question. So basically, um, there are many ways to make an omelette, but <laughs> I think best practice on this, yeah, that's, that's probably a, an answer to a lot of questions about citizen assembly. But best practice on this is, is that the organisation running the citizen assembly will put together a list of speakers to begin with, potential speakers, and they'll ensure that that um, contains people across a broad spectrum. Um, so if you're looking at a particular issue like like air travel you might have someone for instance at climate assembly uk you have you had people from rolls royce but you might have people from you know no flying campaign group so you'd have people at both ends of the spectrum and then and then also you would inform speakers for instance presenting climate science that they would have to present the consensus rather than so obviously there's different views on particular issues but it's important they present the most the broadest consensus okay so the organisation running the Citizens' Assembly, like I said, puts together a list and then that will be overseen and like monitored and, and sort of evaluated, as it were, by an advisory group and by the commissioning body. So you'd have this sort of check and balance. And on that advisory board would also have a broad range of stakeholders. So you're just constantly having these checks and balances of different people um, ensuring that a broad range of views is, is heard. And then, and then the other thing you asked about was, was bias as well. So best practice there is that you, you actually sensitise the assembly members to their own biases. So you would have a presentation about the, our unconscious biases in terms of like there's all different kinds. For instance, we often remember the last presentation we heard, something as silly as that. We, we remember that better than the others. Or we'll, more importantly, perhaps we'll listen to people and will kind of um, take on board what people say if they are more like us, which is a slightly uncomfortable thing for us to admit, but it's it's true of all of us to some extent. So if somebody looks and sounds more like us, then we're more likely to, to believe them. And what is important is that assembly members try and counteract that. And the only way they can do that is if they're made aware of it. Uh, as Alex um, actually pointed out, is that um, no one citizen assembly is the same. And the uh, format of a citizen assembly is not set in stone. And let's also face the fact that nothing in life is perfect, but it's a pretty good thing to be um, aiming for. 
as well as the coordinating body who organise it and the advisory body who over um, who check and also put forward ideas for speakers, presenters, um, there's often an oversight body. And the oversight body can be made up of um, randomly selected members. It might be also at this point, you might have representation of you know, political parties and NGOs, civil servants, and they oversee the whole of the process to make sure that it is fair, and open and they, they so they, they would also be looking in to make sure that the um, range of uh, presentations are fit for purpose. Uh, Kathy covered my point but I was going to add one I think there was also where a situation where you'd actually get the presenters themselves to talk about their history so that people can go oh I understand where you've come from why you're essentially saying that and now I can take your views and contacts. I'm not sure if Alex covered exactly that. Yeah, so it's interesting. So we're dealing with bias kind of on two levels. We're dealing with bias of the preconceptions of the assembly members themselves, and we're dealing with bias in terms of the angle that the speakers are coming from, as well as bias of the people in the oversight body. But then you try and balance it, you know, as sort of um, aviation engineer and an anti-flying campaigner and they together sort of balance each other out <laughs> in a in a battle no <laughs> um Keith in the um in the citizens assembly itself people can also bring up the fact they're saying everyone you brought here is from a green NGO or supports this view we'd actually like to hear from some other people so the citizens assembly itself can say Excuse me, I don't think your I don't think your processes are working quite right. You haven't got the right speakers here. We'd like to hear from this, this, and this. So it's it's quite a powerful thing where people can actually change the process themselves. And that actually happened in France, didn't it, Cathy? Oh yes, very much indeed. The um, the citizens' assembly members, the citizen representatives, really took on board their learning and did ask to hear speakers. I, I know that they did ask to hear, uh, they wanted to hear um, from somebody from Amazon, but uh, they refused to attend. Really? That's interesting. Uh, yeah. The other thing I just wanted to mention, that in terms of um, ensuring everything is covered, if um, the Citizens' Assembly that we're wanting, desperately demanding, it um, comes to fruition through the new Climate and Ecological Emergency Bill. The, the parameters that are defined, the criteria are quite uh, defined. In order to feed into the strategy, there has to be included a, a historical understanding, an international equity, social justice, economics. So in order that the Citizens' Assembly actually brings about, which is the, the tool to come up with this strategy, they would have to hear from that breadth and depth of, of um, speakers. Hopefully all, all corners are covered. Yeah. Um, and then another one that I asked, which is which is kind of similar, is that this sort of oversight body that you're talking about. So for example, with Climate Assembly UK, I think it was a group of four people. How How do they get decided on? To be honest, it doesn't sound like there was like a super good like control mechanism there. Although my own view is that the expert leads were really competent, but it doesn't look like that was passed by the advisory boards, potentially because the advisory board didn't exist at that point. 
Yeah. It's usually it's usually the coordinating group that chooses the select the advisory board. But maybe the most important point is someone's got to someone's got to nominate somebody at some point. Um, Graham Smith always talks about the bootstrap problem. Essentially, you're you're going to have to start somewhere, and the key thing is is that you've got an open and transparent process. So you go, hang on a second. These people are from this. You probably this doesn't really look fair. This doesn't feel fair. Um, so as long as you've got a process that can change, it doesn't really matter. And also, it's much better than anything else we've got. That's why I think it's important to have an oversight body as well, because they a right mixed bag group of of people, including randomly selected, but also maybe you know XR maybe pol- political you know so politicians feel that they're involved in it I mean I think that's at the point where you feel that everybody's looking in and making sure that it's a good uh, process and in our reference model that we started to produce for a systems assembly we did have a randomly selected oversight body it would actually stay there from the very beginning before the so basically it, it would basically help with the tender but then it would go all the way through through to implementation possibly with rotating groups there's always the ability to change things another group will say well that's not fair another group will say well this isn't running right and so you can change things as you go along surely you'd get thousands of submissions from the general public with their ideas about the climate and ecological emergency and and how to navigate through it how could the assembly possibly read and respond to all those submissions does anyone have an answer the submissions are usually received online, although I think in the Irish Citizens Assembly, they were also people wrote in and they're collated by a team and moderated before presenting to the Citizens Assembly, because otherwise it would be overwhelming. And certainly many of those submissions might well be topics that have already been um, thought about. We are What about the push for alternative energy, alternative sources? The issue is fossil fuels. The makeup of the assembly, so the actual practical side of the assembly, um, we've all been getting lots of questions about that as well. Um, And one of them, especially in light of recent events with uh, Black Lives Matter and social justice and racism getting much more on the forefront of of the news, um, people are starting to ask questions, but how would, you know, minority populations be represented in a UK citizens' assembly? So let's say you have 100 assembly members, you would only end up with, say, three black people on the assembly. And obviously, would they feel like they were able to voice their opinions and their concerns if they were, you know, in a minority like that, if there's just three of you? For some individuals, that wouldn't be an issue. Some people might find it intimidating or might not feel like they are able to say what they really think. How, how does that work, this kind of makeup of an assembly? And how do you deal with representation like that and, and making sure that people feel heard and and valued and so it's quite important to distinguish between the representative group and the information that this representative group has passed so especially in the case of 
the justice element of this, it's very important that the Citizens' Assembly has actually got lots of evidence from the Global South, from all different areas of the country, all different socioeconomic backgrounds. You want to hear from everything. It's quite a difficult thing to do because as as well as having a group that's able to discuss this, you also need to have from the outside, it appears representative of the country. So that people say, when they look around that room and they see pictures of it, they say that does match what the country is like. I think your key thing is you've got is that you hear evidence from everyone and understand their stories of climate change, their their stories of ecological justice, so that everybody can be brought along on that journey, so that everybody can talk about those. And so hopefully giving the space to people who are sitting at those tables to say, that's me, that's things, or I've got relatives who are facing this in the global south, I've got friends who are facing this in the global south, I've got friends in other countries who are being far more affected by climate change than you are. Yeah, I agree very much with what what Keith has said. And, you know, again, I think we have to stress that there is no perfect system and this is the best option to date and it needs to be representative of the population. To frame social justice as a fundamental consideration should ensure that those voices are heard, are considered, um, to ensure that representatives of the vulnerable communities are in the advisory group is a way to ensure that um, their positions and to make sure that witnesses or advocates from these social groups have an opportunity to present their perspectives throughout the assembly process, even though, if you like, we still retain the actual makeup of of the assemblies being as true a representation of the actual population as we can manage. Can I just say, ask one thing, this is off the, um, Keith, I was just thinking, if the stratification, say, within age group, so couldn't there actually end up being more BAME people, that somebody actually gets in and because you fit an age group? Or is yeah, you, you could be in multiple different groups, so you could get selected for different things, so you, you, there could be more people. There could be more, more BAME people, couldn't there? Yes. Also, just noting that um, the... Any kind of citizen assembly we're talking about is, is going to be a lot bigger than this. We're talking like 500 to 1,000 people split across multiple um, thematic panels and stuff. So there's going to be a lot more people. And also that those groups can present, can have their voices heard through a different channel. They might not be there, but they, their voices can be heard. Yeah, through the witnesses or like you say, through the advisory board, etc. You, you could. I mean, it, and again, it's back to Cathy's point, this thing can evolve. So you could say, well... The people, if they, you need to maybe have people who talk to them separately. Maybe you have maybe you have a BAME group in there who say, "How are you finding this? Are you finding it unrepresentative?" So they could basically go away and talk about the issues themselves. And in fact, that's exactly what we did in the Citizens Assembly Working Group. Um, we had a group of people who came along and they essentially went away and talked about their issues without our biases, um, and then came back with several pages of recommendations about how we could alter the citizens' assembly process to be improved. Yeah, that you would have that group of people kind of like, what are our interests here? Are they being represented? But you would need, a, and maybe this is a new part to the point, is that you would need a mechanism for that rather than that just like happening organically, which a lot of things in France kind of happened organically, but you actually create mm-hmm. that. Um, I mean, it doesn't just have to be those groups. There are other groups who are going to be so 
I went to assistant assembly where one of the people on the table um, was having a translator. And it might be good to have a space where essentially people for where English isn't their first language to sit down and have a much slower conversation where they're saying, well, actually, I'm struggling with this in these in this situation. Are there ways we could improve the facilitation so that my voice is heard and I get to understand? Maybe you have to slow things down. And we've had it where citizens assemblies have been extended because the people say, well, we haven't finished our deliberations yet. And this is where it massively differs from a jury with a jury you're stuck in a very rigid set of um rules um you can't say i want some more evidence or or i don't agree with the barrister etc yeah and a key difference as well is that in jury service you don't have a facilitator you've got just the group of people and sometimes you've got a really loud person and you're like oh god don't really i'm a bit intimidated don't really want to say anything but i've also heard reports of some of the citizens assemblies that where the facilitation hasn't been great so that's something you need to really focus on and make sure you have got well-trained facilitators. It's not just one person who's going, oh, I'll be that. It needs to be someone who understands group dynamics about alpha people taking over. Another question uh, we've had is, do we think it's a good thing that several people who don't think climate change is important at all, and even more people who think climate change, like, yeah, it's a thing, but, you know, it's not really that important. Uh, do we think it's a good thing that people like that are selected to be on the Citizens' Assembly? Absolutely. I mean, if we're using the process of a citizens' assembly as getting together a randomly selected group of people from all walks of life to collectively address the question, then this group has to be as near a representation of a range of, of people's views. And if, as I suspect we do, have a certain percentage of the population who are in total denial, then their concerns have to be acknowledged and hopefully overcome by the process. I, yes, I agree with Cathy. I think it's, and it's particularly important in terms of it being seen as legitimate by the entire population. So they, people need to feel represented on that. So you need to see that people have gone through that journey from maybe not hardline climate scepticism, that is really is a very small minority of people in the UK, but it's more people who aren't so concerned or aren't aware of the level of urgency. And this is actually something that was good, I think, about Climate Assembly UK is that they had this characteristic as one of their criteria in their selection and stratification process. So they took uh, an Ipsos Mori survey from 2019 in terms of people's level of concern and they took the percentages from that and then that was reflected in the assembly itself. The stories that come out of citizens' assemblies are amazing selling points for having more than citizens' assemblies. Almost everyone who comes out of citizens' assembly says this is how you should do democracy. And people who go in saying, I didn't care about climate change I've come out understanding that this is how they change their minds and this is what they want to do about it uh yeah I mean I think it's really important is is the the fact that um citizens assemblies or particularly deliberation people coming together learning talking to other people who are completely different to themselves that they would not normally meet in life um that that can be quite transformational and in deliberative polling which is a sort of deliberation takes place, um, they found, and over 300 have taken place all over the world, uh, they found that 67% of the people uh, changed their position as a result 
of 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 face to face um communication empathy understanding with other people i mean it really is quite remarkable really yeah it's very exciting because we do know that there will be at some stage um, a film coming out about climate assembly uk with interviews with the actual some of the participants so uh, watch this space that will be very exciting very interestingly though in france that um wasn't a consideration at all and somebody i was speaking to from uh, french xr he he sort of felt that that perhaps the um, citizen representatives erred on the side of being greener in their outlook. He felt that it was slightly skewed, if you like, because that wasn't, nobody was selected on on the basis of being sceptical. It's quite good having had France, because we do have more of a template now. But even Climate Assembly UK, like it's just been really useful having these guys doing it because now we're like oh that was really good or like that was really bad so let's not do that but let's definitely do that everyone (laughs) in this country probably wants things to be better but they probably don't understand how that be right now so this is another issue that a lot of people are asking us about uh this is the accountability of the Citizens' Assembly. And one of the things that everyone, almost everyone asks us is, will the Citizens' Assembly that the third demand is asking for, will that be binding? As in the decisions that come out of the Citizens' Assembly will automatically become law or get implemented or whatever. And um, this is a very complicated subject which is why I invited you guys, <laughs> so you can talk about it. Do we need a binding citizen assembly? Does it not matter? How does it work? It's a really, really interesting question that we've talked about loads, and I think it's talked about a lot in Extinction Rebellion. Um, and it, it, I kind of, if people bring it up, I kind of ask, what do you mean by binding for a start? Because it, there's many different ways you can define that. But I think the most important point to say about it is that it's maybe a little bit of a red herring, because... What's more important, I think, than the level, you have to give an, a, a citizen assembly some power, but what's more important than that is that people see it as a legitimate process and that the public is aware that it's happening. They understand what a citizen's assembly is. They trust it. That's not the stage that we're really at in the UK at the moment. And also that MP, MPs trust the process. Um, so that what comes out of it in terms of the outcomes People want to see those implemented because they see them as outcomes that have been reached at in a very serious, rigorous and democratic way. Great. So really, Alex, what we need to do is when we get the Citizens' Assembly as per the third demand, we need to make sure that the media is on it. We need to make sure everyone's talking about it. Everyone's aware. In my head, I almost imagine like, you know how Boris Johnson did the updates about Corona? I feel like we almost need updates every every time there's a weekend of the Assembly that we have a BBC update of this is what the Assembly is talking about. And these were the things that were discussed. And these were the experts who were presenting and da 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 like I don't know something like that that's you know if the BBC people are listening go do that I think it's very important in Ryan's nationwide broadcast that we have um these are how these are how these things will affect your lives so people start to understand that these are changes that are going to happen to them and that these decisions are being made by a representative group for them another thing that um comes up is that 
Politicians are accountable. Technically speaking, they should be accountable. I'm not sure if they really are anymore. But anyway, let's not go down that rabbit hole. Um, but members of a citizens' assembly are not. Um, and lots of people we talk to come to our webinars and, and everything. They they really see that as a problem. Uh, yeah, I mean, for, uh, I was actually going to say what you were saying, that politicians are accountable are they really if you look what's been going on and you know they're here for a few more years and there's no accountability they do what the hell they like and uh, particularly under the sort of um, the crisis of covid they're using that as a, a a means of doing things that they probably wouldn't get away with normally but the members of a citizens assembly are going to come to a recommendation that is really far greater um, than a recommendation that a politician would make because politicians aren't that well informed when they make decisions about things. So in a way, you could say that um, the members of a, a, a citizens' assembly are making more informed recommendations than, than we often get out of our parliamentary system. With accountability comes individual power. And that's kind of what a citizens' assembly is designed to avoid. Because as soon as you've got people that are accountable in our system, they're individuals that are powerful. And as such, they're subject to the various influences that that power brings. So they're influenced by party politics. They're influenced by lobby groups. They're influenced maybe by a nice job in Facebook once they finish their term in office. And kind of that's the beauty of the Citizens' Assembly is it, it takes that individual fulcrum of power away. So it's kind of a paradox because you can't have one without the other. I think that was beautifully said, John, actually. So on Cathy's point, um, we went to see Zach Goldsmith talk. Um, he's an MP, or was an MP, is now Lord. And then as you essentially as you go through the, uh, the division bell thing to uh, vote, he would talk to other people and they literally had no idea what they were voting on. They'd just been told to vote one way or the other. There is there is no looking at um, evidence. Also, I think the idea of accountability is massively overrated. People say, well, we want, we want to vote for someone. If they do the wrong thing, in five years' time, we can get rid of them. That has played out terribly for the last 40 years. For the entire planet the whole the whole idea is you actually the whole point of citizens assembly is you have a good way to make choices we have choices to make as a society and as individuals giving all those choices to one person then they make terrible choices you have to live with all those decisions then you can vote them out in five years time that means nothing to them yet you have had to live with five years of terrible choices and also for climate change the next eternity of terrible choices what you actually want is a system that allows you to make good evidence-based decisions now. And that is a citizen's assembly. Another aspect maybe in terms of like balancing it out from a different angle is that the accountability question is maybe to some extent addressed through transparency again. So if people see, again, what I was saying before, if people see the process and understand it and trust it, then there is slightly less need for accountability because they feel already represented by the people there and they and they can see that if they had gone through the same process there's a really good chance that they would have come up with the same opinion as someone else who was there 
Thank you. Keith Garrett, Kathy Conn, Alex Bradbury, John Witten, and Nessie Matos. Thank you so much for being here. Go Korg! Citizens Assembly Working Group, the Corgis. It was an absolute delight having you on the podcast and thank you for sharing your wisdom. Uh, just to do a little bit of a plug, if you want to get in touch with the Citizens Assembly Working Group of XR UK, you can email them xr-citizensassembly at protonmail.com and we also have a lovely website with lots of resources and information for you xrcitizensassembly.uk and of course we are also on social media at citizensxr you can always contact us ask us questions no question is too small or silly or too complicated if we don't know the answer we go and reach out to some of our deliberative democracy expert friends and they will know the answer as well so um, we're quite lucky with our wonderful wealth of friends that we have um and thank you guys so much for being on the show we have run out of excuses and we are running out of time. We're looking at mass starvation within 10 years. The reality is we're sleepwalking into a catastrophe. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Extinction! Can I have my prima donna moment? I'm butting in, I'm sorry. We're going slightly off topic, guys. Are you, have you prepared the answers? Sorry, that was a useless sentence there. <laughs> Cut that one. <laughs>